What's up, guys? Aaron Smith here. Welcome to the Upper Room Dallas podcast. This weekend, we did a pre-release launch to my book, Big Jesus. And I got to preach about Jesus, that he's really big. So I hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you have not got a chance to get the book, it is on pre-order on Amazon and releases everywhere books are sold on August 8th. I hope you get it. I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy the message. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You can have a seat. Y'all, releasing a book is vulnerable. I walked into the lobby tonight. I knew they were going to, like, set the books out. And I was like, I want to see it. And I walked in there, and I saw the books, and I just felt inside out. That's the only way to put it. You're just like, oh, my gosh, you feel so vulnerable. But thank you, Joel. Thank you. I think he's walking out the door, but I love you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Have a good weekend. Um, hey, if you'd open your Bible to Mark chapter 7, and we're going to get there. We may get there slowly. I found out last night that I was preaching this weekend, so bear with me. Michael called me, and he said, we're doing a pre-release for your book. He said, you have to share about it. And I was like, okay. So here I am. Um, Let's pray. Can we pray? Lord, thank you for who you are. Lord, I honor you tonight. Lord, and I confess that you are really big. Lord, I confess that you're bigger than I know. You're bigger than we know. Lord, I confess that you're king of the universe. Lord, I confess that you're Lord. You're Lord of lords. You're king of kings, Lord. You're not just a king searching for glory. You're the king of glory. And Lord, tonight we confess who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for the last hour we've had in worship. Lord, and I pray that this weekend would not be a weekend about books being sold, but this weekend would be a weekend about people saying yes again to being struck with wonder. Lord, and fascination. Lord, I ask that you would strike our community again with wonder. Lord, would you strike me again with wonder, Lord, with fascination, Lord, to be completely undone with who you are, to be completely undone by your nature, to be completely undone by your ways, Lord, that we would not get caught up in doing normal Christianity in Dallas, Texas, and the buckle of the Bible belt, but once again, we would pray prayers like unbuckle us, Lord, let us be undone, let us be transformed, Lord, let us never be the same because we've seen you. And so I honor you, Lord. Lord, and I pray that everybody that's in the room tonight that needs breakthrough, that they would find it in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories tonight. That's what my book is. So, um, and then we'll get to Mark 7 here in a moment, but... Um, I, I was thinking about this. I wanted to start telling you the story... Um, when the books had been delivered here at the upper room, um, I was with a a couple of people on staff and we got a box of books and we took them to a back room and we were going to open them and I hadn't seen them yet. So it was this, this, this really exciting feeling of here's been two years of a project in secret that for the first time I'm going to hold the fruit of it in my hand. And we began to open the box. And as we opened the box, in a moment, the Lord began to, re- to remind me of something that happened to me when I was a junior in high school, like only the Lord can do. And I was reminded of this moment where I was walking into uh, College English One, my junior year. My mom had made me taking this, this dual credit class and, and I didn't want to take it, but she was like, no, you're going to get a head start on college. So I'm taking this class. And specifically this day in school, I had to turn in a paper that I had written on Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird, if you've ever read that book. And I actually came alive in the project in writing this paper. And I turned to the paper and I told my, my teacher, I said, I really enjoyed this project. I, I had a really good time writing. She was like, that's awesome. I can't wait to read it, your paper. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Well, a couple days later, I'm sitting in the same class and uh, our teacher is getting ready to pass out uh, the graded papers we had all written. And as she's passing them out, one of my friends leans over and he says, Aaron, uh, what do you think you made? And I'm like, well, I hope I made a good grade. You know, I really enjoyed writing. I feel like one day I might even want to write a book. I, I said that. Uh, I'm a junior in high school. And as I'm saying that, the teacher pulls out my paper with the red graded 
grade on it and she hands it to me and she goes, well, you know, Aaron, you might wanna reconsider that because it just might not be your thing. And I had a failing grade on my paper. And in that moment, I did not realize the word curse that had been spoken over me. And I had actually totally forgotten about that until I'm getting ready to open this box of books. And the Lord reminds me of that memory and I, and I feel this, this hesitation to pull a, a book out of the box. But I open it and I pull the book out and I'm holding it in my hand and I begin to look at it and I hear the still small voice of the Lord. I think it's your thing. I think it's your thing. And in a moment, I began to be overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. Not because I was holding the fruit of something I'd been working on for two years, but because I was in wonder once again with his leadership. I was in wonder with his leadership. I was in awe at how he and only he can do what he does with our lives. I was in Australia in March, <laughs> so far from where I was raised. I was raised in a small town called Borger, Texas. And I was in Australia in March. My wife and I had been invited to share at a conference and we're there at this conference and there's these young adults that came up to us and they had listened to our podcast and they'd seen us from the upper room and they were just, you know, we love you guys. They were telling us all these things. And one of them, this young girl goes, how did you get where you are today? And I started laughing on the inside because I'm like, I'm from Borger. Like if you knew where I was from, you probably can't even pronounce it right. And, and I started thinking about that question and I thought, all I did was say yes to God. That's all I've done is say yes to God. And sometimes that takes me to youth ministry and sometimes that takes me to Australia and sometimes that takes me to tonight or takes me different places. But I'm thinking about what Joel was sharing. And in 2013, I got a call from a pastor in Arlington and he said, hey, will you come be a youth pastor at my church? Our youth pastor had just quit and he calls me and he asked me to come be a youth pastor. And and I'm thinking, I'm in Bible school. I have not been walking with the Lord that long. I don't understand theology. I can't tell you the difference between a Calvinist and Arminianist. I can't tell you uh, what a cessation is. Like, I can't tell you any theological words. I can't unpack eschatology for you. Why do you want me to be your youth pastor? And, 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 and somehow I found myself in an invitation into this job. And it was the first time I would be invited into a ministry position. And I was telling the Lord, Lord, I don't want to take this job. What am I going to tell these teenagers? I don't even know the difference between Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Like, what do you want me to say? And I remember the Lord said, if you'll just be unashamed about your love for me in front of them, that's enough. And I feel like my assignment has never really changed over the years. And in my pinning of these pages is me in a desire to be unashamed of who Jesus is before you. And these pages, I've been walking with the Lord for a decade now, and it's a, it's a decade of history that I have with God. And, and more specifically, it's a decade of me uh, writing stories of time after time that God has revealed to me that I had him in a box. Time after time that I had put God in a box and he wanted me to smash that box. And the same way I said yes to pastoring teenagers is the same way I've said yes, Lord, you can smash the boxes that I've put you in. But here's what I've learned about boxes that we put God in. Oftentimes the boxes we put God in are subconscious. Like no one walks around going, I wanna put God in a box, right? Like I, I, I wanna put God in a box. I wanna believe that God is not big enough to do this. I wanna have a small God. Nobody walks around thinking that. Yet subconsciously, oftentimes we put boxes around the Lord and who the Lord is and boxes come in all shapes and sizes. We have inner vows like boxes. I'll never forget when I was in eighth grade, I had had for my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I had told a, a, uh, someone in the children's ministry, she was a leader. And I had said, I spoke in tongues. And she looked at me and she said, well, you better be careful, Aaron, because the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the one sin that's unforgivable. And if it's not authentic, you'll be, you won't be forgiven. Someone tells me this as an, as an eight-year-old, so I make this inner vow that I want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Like, are you, no, no way, no siree. And, and, and just like that, in the form of an inner vow, I put a box around God. Boxes come in theologies. We have theological words that describe why God can or cannot move in certain ways today. We have entire books, we have entire podcasts, we have entire denominations of people that are just agreeing around boxes. 
Like I get so annoyed when I, I have had people tell me like, well, well, that's just, that's just charismatic thinking, Aaron. I've had people tell me that. I've had family members or people who didn't see eye to eye with me. They'll say, well, you're, you're just charismatic. And I get so annoyed and I go, was Moses charismatic at the Red Sea? Was, was Joshua charismatic at the walls of Jericho? Was David charismatic when he stood before Goliath? Was Elijah charismatic when he said, I will not put up with compromise in my nation? Was Jesus charismatic when he endured the cross? Was Acts 2 charismatic? And when I hear that, you're, you're just charismatic. I go, or maybe I want to live by faith. Maybe I simply want to believe that God is bigger than my own thinking. Maybe I simply want to believe that God is too big to be put in a box. And maybe, just maybe, if I have any boxes in my life that I would pray prayers like, God, smash them. Smash the boxes. Smash the constructs. I don't want to argue theology. I want to be struck with wonder. I get so, so, so concerned with the state of the church, with the way we will argue on social media. I'm like, it's just arguments after arguments after arguments. And I'm like, can we hold hands and be in worship together? Can we wonder at who he is and let tears fill our eyes? Like I think of Psalm 131, where the psalmist writes, I do not concern myself with things too lofty for me. When people come to me, can you unpack this? Can you unpack this? Can you unpack this? Can you unpack this? And I'm like, ah, no. But I can tell you when Ava starts jumping around and she starts singing about you save and you rescue, I have a history where I've seen that to be true. And I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm the person to give you a five point theological lesson, but I'm the person who will say, let's get on our face. Let's weep. Let's be transformed. Let's truly dare to believe that God is bigger than we think. That God is bigger than we know. That he's bigger than our denominations. He's bigger than our theologies. What if in this hour, God wants to break the boxes the church has put him in? What if in this hour, God just wants out of the box? What if 2020 was God just exposing the massive box we had around him? What if we responded and we said, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I have a box, but if I do, reveal it to me and smash it destroy it. Lord, I don't want to get caught up in the, in, the, in the wrestle of religion. All religion ever teaches anybody is try harder. Just try harder and you'll see God. Just try harder and that, that ache in your soul will go away. Just try harder. But I, I, but, but I refuse to think try harder is the answer. Maybe it's weep more. Maybe it's lift your hands. Maybe instead of saying, well, I don't like that song, or we've been worshiping for 45 minutes, to go, wow, maybe Ava is right. Maybe I can get on this carpet and be transformed. Like I think of the snot that is up here in this carpet, and then I'm like, maybe I'll preach up here. <laughs> like, you know? But I think of that, and I think of the amount of times people have responded to the Lord and said, Lord, smash the box I've put you in. Be bigger than how I was raised. Be bigger than what I was taught. Be bigger than what I know. Be bigger, God. I need you to be bigger. And that's my question tonight is, is maybe there's boxes in the room that, that we could say, Lord, would you smash them? You know, I oftentimes think about in scripture, the Pharisees, and I promise we're gonna get to Mark 7, but uh, I think of the Pharisees. And, and if I take a step away from the Pharisees in the Bible, I point my finger at them and, you know, stick up my nose to them and I denounce any association with the Pharisees. Like, I do not relate to the Pharisees. But if, if you really look at the Pharisees and you gave them a modern job description, they would not be called Pharisees or Sanhedrin or Sadducees. They would be called pastors by role. Their role, their job was to lead the people of Israel to God. And so I think, well, who's Whose role is that today? Well, that's a pastor. That's a worship leader. So then I have to search the scriptures and I don't have to stick my nose up and point my finger and, and put an arm's length away to the Pharisee. I need to lean in and I need to go, God, where is the Pharisee in me? Where do I have a Pharisee in me to where, where in my desire to lead people to you, maybe I'm just helping to establish bigger boxes. Because I think at their core, the, the one thing the Pharisees weren't able to do was smash the boxes they had around what it looks like for the Messiah to come. They just could not get over the fact that nothing, surely nothing good comes from Nazareth. 
They could not get over that fact. What if one of them would have said, maybe something good can come from Nazareth. Maybe, maybe God can come in a way we didn't expect. What would have happened? How was the storyline different? And then you read where the exact people who were meant to lead the people to God were the ones who killed him. Completely missed him. And I have a deep conviction. I have a deep desire to, to not miss God. To not miss God. To, to, to not point my finger and judge. And is, this, is Asbury really a move of God or is it a hype? I don't know, but I don't want to miss him. I don't know, maybe it is him. What if it is? Tonight, I think about it like, I, or oftentimes I think about Sunday night where the room is full of young people and often the question is, was it truly the spirit or was it emotionalism? Was it truly the spirit or was it hype? And oftentimes I gotta go, I, I, I don't know. But what if it was him? I don't wanna miss him. I don't wanna miss, I would rather respond and get up and go, maybe that was emotion, but I went for it. By faith, I responded. By faith, I said, Lord, if you're touching people in the room, I, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to sit in the chair and cross my legs and buy the bracelet, wear the t-shirt. I've been to church, been there, done that. No, I want to encounter God and be transformed. So Mark chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 31. It says, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis. Sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. Of Depocalypse to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is one of the most intense passages. Jesus is spitting on a dude. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, Ep epitha, that is be open. Immediately his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. I love this story. Um, I love how, how the way the Lord heals someone is completely is completely left field. Like, I, I think of Don doing ministry team trainings and saying, this is how you heal someone. You, you spit in your finger and you, you know what I'm saying? You're like, you would be in that training and you would be like, red flag, red flag. What is this church? Yet that's how Jesus does it. He comes and he, he spits and he touches this man's tongue and this man is healed. And I think of the miracle that happens this day in Israel to this man who he can't speak and he can't hear, he's both mute and deaf, and Jesus heals him. But when I read this story, excuse me, for the longest time, I thought, wow, like the miracle was that the man was healed. And though that is a miracle, I don't think that's the greatest miracle of the story. I think the greater miracle of the story is that there was a people group who left that place and their heart was burning. And what they said that night when they laid their head down on the pillow was, Jesus does everything well. That is the greater miracle to me. That is the greater story to me, that there is a people group struck with wonder. There's a people group struck with fascination. There's a people group that was struck with the reality that Jesus does all things well. Any anxiety I have in my life, I can trace back to an area in my heart that doesn't believe this. Any fear in my life, I can trace back to an area that my heart does not believe this. That Jesus does all things well. I'll give you an example. If I'm over, ever overwhelmed with finances, I'm not sure how we're gonna pay this bill. I'm not sure how we're gonna pay this doctor's appointment. I'm not sure how we're gonna pay our mortgage this month. 
money's tight. If I were to chase the fruit of that thing all the way back down to its root and core, the belief would be that I don't have trust that Jesus truly is the provider of our life. And it would produce anxiety. It would produce fear. Anytime that I have been overwhelmed with my physical health and I've thought, what is happening with my body? I need to go see a doctor or, or, or I'm going to get sick and all of these things. I can chase that back down to my heart has yet to truly believe, God, you're a healer. But in the areas in my life that I truly believe, Jesus, you do all things well. Those are the areas that when the waves come and the wind blow, you know my life is built on a firm foundation and I am not moving. Why? Because you're in wonder and fascination. You're in awe of who Jesus is. In other words, it's what we're singing tonight. You have seen him rightly. You've seen him rightly and you know who he is. And so when, when you're tested in that thing, man, you're tethered to the anchor that he is. You know, I have a big Jesus. He's bigger than this trial. He's bigger than this circumstance. He's bigger than what I'm walking through. I don't know how I'm gonna pay for that bill, but I know one thing, you're a really big provider. You do all things well. If you were to look at the, the Greek word of that's there for well, that you do all things well, um, you can go research it for yourself, but that word comes from the root word that would be the characteristic for beautiful where we say, Jesus, you're beautiful. Or an example would be where the Bible calls Jesus the fairest among 10,000. The adverb to that word is the Greek word that you have here for well. So in other words, it is beholding the beauty of Jesus and not just stopping with the fascination of what you see, but as you look at him and go, you're beautiful, you have this realization, everything you touch is beautiful. Everything you do is beautiful. The fruit of your hands is beautiful. When your hands get on something and the fingerprints of your hands get on my life, all of a sudden my life becomes beautiful. It is the adverb to the characteristic of beauty. You do all things well. You don't just look beautiful. You don't just sound beautiful. But Jesus, truly, when you get your fingers on something, the characteristics of that thing change. It's reformed. It's redeemed. It's delivered, it's set free, it's rescued. It's who you are. Jesus, you do all things well. And my desire, my prayer, my hopes, my thought is, what if there was a community in Dallas who we truly believe that Jesus did all things well? It's not just he does some things well. He heals well. But have a conversation, oh, we don't do that so good. Or he, heal, he, he heals well, but provide, oh, I don't know. No, he does all things well. All things, all things. They, they're seeing him heal a man, but the revelation they're receiving from watching him do one thing is that he does all things. It's that if he can do this one thing, what can he do with all things? If he can do this for this one person, what, he, what can he do with this entire region? With this entire, it's looking at the breakthrough that one person gets and going, Jesus, you, you brought breakthrough for one person. What does that mean for a continent? You begin to magnify it and you go, you don't just do some things well, you do all things well. And I have to ask myself this question, Lord, where am I living a life where I don't believe you do things well? Where is the fruit of my life actually just the fruit of a belief that I don't think you're going to do something well? Because that's probably the exact area I have a box in my life of who he is and I need him to smash it. Because he does all things well. I wanted to tell you, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but you were meant to live in fascination and wonder. You were meant to live that way. You weren't meant to have moments with God where, where it's one encounter to the next encounter. And now we'll count the calendar until we get another encounter with God and then we'll go in. No, you were meant to live in wonder and fascination. Your days were meant to be marked with wonder for who God is. You're, you were totally meant to live that way. It's the way you were constructed by God. Your original design was to be in union and in intimacy with him and to be undone with the beauty of who he is. This is where you see David writing, my desire is all the days of my life to, to be in your temple, Lord, and behold your beauty. Like when you begin to see him, you begin to get in even the slightest slither of who he is, it begins to totally transform your desire to where you desire to see him. We were singing the song and Ava was sharing what she was sharing 
And I started thinking of the story, I believe it's in Exodus 20, where God begins to reveal himself to not just Moses, but the entire nation of Israel. And as he's revealing himself to the entire nation of Israel, it says that they're struck with fear from the thunderings and the fire. And they say this to Moses. They say, Moses, you go up the mountain and you tell God to speak to you and that it's enough for us to hear God through you, lest we die from him revealing himself. And I started thinking of that story and I started thinking about how, how the fear around seeing him kept them from, from, from responding to him drawing close. And I started thinking, Lord, don't, don't let that be us in this hour. Don't let, this be, don't let that be us in this hour. I don't know what it looks like when God comes near to your life. I don't know what he begins to, to shake all that can be shaken until you realize like, oh man, actually the things I was standing on wasn't a firm foundation. But Lord, shake away. What if we prayed prayers like that? Lord, shake away. Oh man, maybe what I'm standing on actually isn't a firm foundation. Maybe I'm standing on my own ideology or my own constructs and the Lord begins to reveal that. And instead of fear and leaning away, what if we leaned in and we said, Lord, shake away, shake all that can be shaken. This is revelation four. When the elder, the, uh, the elders and the four living creatures day and night, eyes all over front and back. Yet as they behold him, they cannot stop saying holy. They can't stop. And I think of the narrative that we're gonna be in when we cross from this life into the next, we're gonna be in that narrative. Like, I think of people who are like, yeah, worship's cool, but it's not really my thing. I'm like, well, you know when we get to heaven, it will be nonstop worship, right? You know when, yeah, beholding, like, ah, I'll stick to eschatology. I just really like scripture. You know when we get to heaven, right? Your eyes are going to be wide open as you're seeing him. You're seeing the light of the world not come from a sun or from a star, but come from Jesus himself. And you're going to be in full on wonder. Holy, holy, holy. And it blows my mind that this God who's so holy, the one who hung the stars, the one who gave every animal its sound and noise, his desire is for you. His desire is, is for me. His desire is to be close to us. His desire is not to create the, the roar of the lion and then be close to the lion. His desire is to be close to you. Like he, he, he hung Orion's belt. Like if you, if, you, if you get caught up in the narrative of how grand God is, yet the desire, the tick of his heart is to be close to you. This is, this is Psalm 8 verse 3. When I think of the heavens, when I think of the moon, the stars, who is man that you are mindful of him? This is Job 7. This is that you should set your heart on man. Job begins to have an invitation into wonder despite the circumstance he's walking to. Who is man that you have set your heart on him? You know, I think oftentimes uh, many of us who don't believe that God wants to be the breakthrough in our lives is because we don't believe that we're loved by him. But when you realize you're loved by God, when you realize you are the beloved of God, that God loves you. I feel like for the most part in the global church, like we're starting to get this revelation, but I know there are still conversations I have with, with individuals who what they cannot get their mind wrapped around is the fact that God loves them. Listen, God loves you. God loves you. He's madly, deeply completely, unconditionally in love with you, with the you that you are right now. That offends me, if I'm honest, because I know I'm not the Aaron that he has promised me to be, if you would. Like, I know that the Lord has given me promises and visions, and, and you're gonna do this in your life, but then I look at my life now, and I go, how could I do the thing that you've promised me to do when I look at who I am now? And those are the moments that I need to come in and go, you love the me now. You, love, you loved me completely when I was stuck in porn. Like that blows my mind to think now that I'm not watching porn, you don't love me anymore that, than you did when I was watching porn. Are you following me? And if we can grab, grab hold of that and go, you love me, how could that mature us into believing that he's bigger than the things we walk through? Mature us, God. Yes. 
so I want to tell you a couple stories that declares that Jesus does all things well. You know, as I've started praying prayers like, Holy Spirit, help me see Jesus, I have learned that Jesus is not that hard to find. Like I used to think that seeing Jesus in, in every day was, was nearly an impossible thing. But as I've learned that I start praying, Holy Spirit, would you show Jesus to me? That's a normal prayer for me to pray. When I wake up in the morning or when I'm walking through a trial, when I'm walking through something, Holy Spirit, would you help me see Jesus? Because what I have learned, especially when you're walking through, through things, there's another invitation that comes from the enemy. And the invitation from the enemy is not to see Jesus, it's to see what he isn't doing. Have you ever been there when you've been walking through something and you're so stuck on God isn't doing this? Like God isn't meeting me here and your eyes are stuck on what God isn't doing, you completely miss what God is doing. You completely miss where he is in your everyday. You completely miss where he is drawing near. You completely miss where he is right there. And so I've prayed prayers like, Holy Spirit, would you, would you help me see Jesus? Help me see Jesus. And, and what I have found from praying that prayer is Jesus is, is really just not that hard to find. And, and I guarantee you the fingerprints of God are actually all over your life. If you were to look back, when I look back at this last decade with God, I'm blown away by the fact that God's fingerprints have been all over my life. And oftentimes when I'm in it, I don't see it. But when I look back on it, I go, how did I, it was so clear that you were right there. And so I wanna tell you a couple stories and all of these stories are in my book that are here. Um, and there, I'm, I'm gonna give you three. If we can get through three, I'll give you three. If we just get through two, we'll get, just get through two. But a couple stories where God revealed to me that I just had him in a box. I just had who he was and what he's like in a box and I could not get past it. And he, 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 he walked me through something to see that he's just bigger than the box that I had put him in. And so if you relate to one of these stories, then you can just grab it with your heart and you can go, God, do it in my life because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy which means if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. And if he did it for someone else, he'll do it for another. It's who he is. And the first one is this, finances. Finances. God does not fit in a box called finances. I don't know if you're like me and you've ever tried to put God in a box titled finances, but if you have, God wants out of the box. Do you know that finances are nothing to God? Finances are nothing to God. If you're in this room right now and you're overwhelmed by your finances, let me tell you that that bill or that thing does not intimidate the Lord. Oftentimes when I get up in prayer or even in times when I'm preaching, I'll refer to finances in my sermon and it's because of where God has brought me. And I'm gonna tell you a story here. Um, but when I first married Sir Beth, when we first got married, uh, I would have told you, yeah, I'm free in finances yeah, I'm free. I just hadn't walked through anything. I hadn't walked through uh, wanting to buy a house. I hadn't walked through uh, merging bank accounts. I hadn't walked through trying to pay for diapers and pay for a house. I hadn't walked through anything. So of course I thought I was free in finances. But then I started walking through things and I very quickly realized, oh, I'm dominated by finances. In fact, I would go as far to say I was probably had a level of a poverty spirit over me that really crippled me in my view of finances. And that would show up in everything. That would show up in the way I would give. That would show up in uh, the lack of integrity at the self-checkout line. Come on, somebody. Uh, that would show up in different places. That would show up in tithing. Maybe I would tithe on certain paychecks, but not other. It would show up everywhere. Yet the reality was, if you were to ask me about my life and finances, I totally thought like, oh, finances are not a thing for me. Until one day, uh, Sarah Beth sat me down. We had just been married. We've been married maybe about a year. We'll be celebrating six years in December. So it's awesome. We still consider ourselves newlyweds. We have a rule that we're newlyweds until we hit the 10-year mark. And then we're newlyweds times two. So... Um, but she sits me down and she says this. She says, Aaron, I really feel the Lord is asking me to step away from my job. And at the time, I'm a youth pastor, so I'm trying to pastor teenagers into responsibility. So when my wife tells me this, I go, oh, baby, that's not responsible. What do, you, what do you mean? We have to have a job. Like, we just got married. She goes, no, I, I really feel like God is asking me to not have a job. And so I tell her, I'm like, well, well how long is this season of not having a job going to last? <laughs> But she says, six months. I feel like God said, don't have a job for at least six months. And so I'm like, well, 
I'll pray about it. You know, the, the, sometimes you really do pray about it, and then sometimes that's like Christianese, like juke to get out of it. Like, well, give me a season to pray about it. So I told her I'll pray about it, and she was like, okay. And so a couple days later, she was like, did you pray about it? And I'm like, not yet, but it's on the list, <laughs> you know? And she's like, I need you to pray about it, Aaron. I really feel the Lord is asking me to step away from my job. So it's like, okay, so by pray about it, I went and uh, did our budget sheet. And I looked at our budget sheet and realized like, no, like this is just not gonna work. We need your income. So I go back to her and I'm like, I prayed about it. It's not gonna work. <laughs> and she's like, did you really pray about it? And I'm like, well, I'm just looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the math. I'm looking at, and all of a sudden money started getting emotional. And a quick way you know that you're not free from money is when money is emotional. Because what I've learned is money is actually, it's, exact, it's math. It's two plus two is four, and, and money is math, but when money gets emotional, it's an indicator that maybe it has a hold on you, and money was emotional for me, and so I would get emotional, and we'd start to talk about it, and uh, so I finally told her, Sarah Beth, it's just look at the spreadsheet, <laughs> look at the budget, look at, you know, how are we going to pay for our needs? That was something I told her, and she was like, I don't know, Aaron, but I know what God's asking, and you need to really pray about this. And so I went to the Lord and I prayed about it and I heard the Lord very clearly say, Aaron, yes, I've asked her to step away from her job. And then I'm frustrated, you know, and instead of praying for my wife and praying about my wife and I'm like, Lord, well, would you just, you know, would you mature her? And the Lord said to me, he said, this is actually into me maturing you. This is actually into me maturing you. And I was like, okay, Lord, well, then I'll say yes. And so I said yes and we prayed about it and very quickly Sir Beth stepped away from her job. She didn't have her job. And for the next six months, uh, she did not know how to play the piano and she would learn in the next six months to play the piano. And if you know anything about her story, she's just called to worship. And so it was a significant, significant season for her with the Lord and him maturing her just in, in crazy ways. And all the while, money was not one of the places he was maturing her. Money was where he was confronting me. And so in the confrontation of money, I began to realize like, okay, we, we are in a delta each month. Like we don't have what we need to, to pay for basic needs. And so I started really becoming like, a, a, like an army, like sergeant with, with Sarah Beth when it came to money. Like you have to ask me when you pay for this or this or this, and we have to make sure we have it. I just, control was rampant in my life. And... Um, and the Lord led me to Philippians 4.9. If you know Philippians 4.9, it says, my God shall supply all of your needs. My God shall supply all of your needs. And I heard the Lord say this to me. He said, Aaron, you can search the scriptures, but you will not find the theology that man is a provider for his family. You'll find the theology that I am Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is the provider. And it's a beautiful thing when the Lord says that. It's another thing to walk it out. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm not the provider of my family. That means you are. And, and I had the language, but again, control was still rampant in my life. And so I told Sarah Beth, I was like, hey, this is what the Lord said. Um, can we pray into it? She was like, yeah, let's pray right now. So we start praying. And I hear the Lord say this to me. I want you to tell Sarah Beth, if it's a need, she doesn't need permission to pay for it. If it's a need, she doesn't have to talk to you. She has full freedom to buy it. And so I told that to Sarah Beth and it sounded like, felt like vinegar coming out of my mouth. Like, you don't have to ask me to buy it. You don't have to tell me if it's a need, you, you can get it. And, and to this day, we still live that way. We still live that way to where if it's a need. Um, anyways, so pretty quickly, we, we, we were just having a hard time. Like I was so afraid we weren't gonna have rent. We did not have it in the bank. And um, all the while we had a car payment. It was the only amount of debt that we had. And I come home one day and Sarah Beth had gotten a text from a couple that we deeply admire and we deeply look up to. And they said, hey, we wanna have dinner with you guys. The Lord put it on our heart to have dinner. Are you available tonight, tomorrow night, or the night after that, sometime in the next three days? And so I was like, well, we have no money, so it's a free dinner, let's go. Like, they'll pay for dinner for us. And so we go to dinner and we're sitting at the table and we're sitting there and we're just talking, we're just chatting and we're, you know, catching up. And all of a sudden, the, the husband in this family, he leans over and he goes, you know, there was intention to why we asked you to dinner. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what is it? And he said, well, the Lord, the Lord told me that we need to start thinking about your family and that we're supposed to make an investment into your family. And I said, well, well, well what does that mean? What, like, investment into my family? Like, my wife's not pregnant, we have no kids. And we're sitting there, and at this table, we were at Mellow Mushroom. I still remember that Elton John was playing in the background. And he said, we're gonna give you a check for 
for you and we feel like you're supposed to buy a car. You're supposed to buy a car for your family. And I'm thinking, okay, we have two really good cars. Um, we do have one that we have a loan on. And he goes, okay, well, sell that car, uh, pay off the loan, any extra you take, pay off any debt that you have. But this is to be an investment in your car. The Lord really spoke this to us. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, you know, I don't know how you, how you respond, but when someone just tells you that at the table, I'm like, do you throw up? Do you, like, that is a lot of money. You know, especially when you're a youth pastor, you're like, how much, you know? And, um, and so then the husband goes on to say this to me. He goes, but we do have one condition. So instantly I'm like, oh gosh, like what, what is it that you want from me? Like, what could this couple possibly want? And he leans forward and I remember like a father, he looked at me and he said this, he said, you know, God told us to do this. And so I'm like, okay. And he said, here's the condition. If you take this money from us, our name can never leave your mouth. But anytime you talk about this, you have to tell people, God bought this car for me. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, well, 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 why? Why is this the condition? And he said, because I felt so strongly that the Lord wants you to know that you're not the provider for your family, he is. And I'm sitting at this, table and at this table, and in a moment, the only way I can explain it is that the Lord began to deliver me from the fear of not measuring up as a father, the fear of not measuring up as a husband, the fear of taking on the pressure and saying, I'm the provider for my own family. And, and God wanted out of the box. And to this day, I still look back to that season. I tell you that story, and, and because if you have God in a box around finances, eye has not seen nor ear heard all that God desires to do for you. Like truly, truly, more than you could ask, think, or imagine, you could not come up with God, what God has in store for you, that he's bigger than you know. And I'm not here saying that if you go on a fast, a 21-day water fast, that someone's gonna take you to dinner and you're gonna get a $50,000 check. What I am saying is that if you, especially fathers and husbands in the room, that you're not the provider for your family, he is. But when you live as the provider for your family, that is a lot of pressure to carry. But when you come before him and you go, God, maybe I've had, had, had myself in a box and I've had you in a box and you want out of that box to show me who you are, he'll show you. Provision belongs to the Lord. Provision belongs to the Lord. And you know, that whole season, when I look back at that season, I realized that God was inviting me to live by faith because I was really comfortable in our finances and in our two incomes. And what I realized is that my comfortability with our finances was actually the, the, the reason I was bored with God. But then it was in that place where I began to live by faith that God began to mature me and I began to realize, wow, my heart is being struck with wonder for who you are. Let me tell you another one. Loving your neighbor. God wants out of the box of what that could look like. Let me explain. Um, a couple years ago, I was doing yard work in my front yard. And I had a friend who had come over and he was helping me do yard work. And we were sitting there and all of a sudden I got struck with like a burden for my neighborhood. And I said to my friend, I said, he could tell I was thinking about something. He goes, what are you thinking about? And I said, I'm just wondering why my neighborhood is different because we live in it. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought that way, but this is how I'm thinking. I'm like, Lord, if you're living in me and you're living in my family and, and the gospel has taken hold of our family, why is our neighborhood different? And I started thinking about the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. It's like it. It's comparable. You have to have it in the same. You can't just talk about loving God without loving people. It's like it. You need both of them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I started thinking, I know that neighbors is really poetry to love everyone you come before, that comes before you, that you run in. Your waitress can be your neighbor, your employee, uh, your coworker can be your neighbor. But I started thinking, what about my actual neighbor? Because loving people here at the church is a lot easier sometimes than loving your neighbor. Uh, I think one time uh, my neighbor came over and had shot out the rear, the rear window of my truck with a BB gun. Like in that moment, how you love your neighbor, I'm like, you, you did what? You know, I had another neighbor uh, in the last presidential election put a candidate, a candidate sign in the yard of the presidential candidate we were not going to vote for. I come home and he had just put his sign in my yard and I'm like, okay. Um, I had another neighbor, they were college students and every night we would walk outside and we could just smell marijuana and we could hear loud, you know, I tell you that because sometimes your actual neighbors are the hardest ones to love. Yet I had a burden for my neighborhood and I said, Lord, uh, uh, where have I put you in a box for what it looks like to love my neighborhood? 
Lord, would you, would you get out of that box? Lord, I wanna love my neighborhood. That was it, it was a simple prayer. And um, I'll never forget about a week later, a kid named Alex knocks on our front door. And he was 13 and he has his bicycle. He put his bicycle in my front yard. And I'm like, dude, you just rode your bike in my front yard. Like you just knock on strangers doors. Yet here he was and he was sweaty and he was breathing hard. And he's like, hi, do you, do you have water? And I'm like, what's your name? Like, who are you? Are you okay? Who's chasing you? And he's like, oh, we're just riding our bike, you know? And I'm like, sure, we have water, you know, stay right here and let me go get it. Uh, long story short, I go get water and I just start preaching the gospel to this kid, Alex, and he gets saved, he gives his life to God and he started coming every week, but when it was just him at first, then he starts bringing all his buddies and it was like our house became a regular stop for the neighborhood kids on their bike, like their bike gang to come and get water and I'm like, I know I'm a youth pastor, God, but now I have two youth groups, like here they are coming to our house and so things like that started happening. There was another day where our exact, uh, right next to us, that neighbor walks over one day, knocks on our door, and I open the door, and I go, how are you doing? And he said, not good, not good. But I came over here because I know you're a Christian, and I wanted to ask you to pray for me. And I said, well, what's going on? And he said, well, I just got a diagnosis that I have cancer. And the doctor says I'm dying. And you're standing there, and we don't really know our neighbor that well, and so I just say, well, can I lay my hands on you? And he kind of looks at me like, sure, I do want you to pray, but what is this laying on of hands thing? And I lay my hands on him. I start praying for him for cancer to go away. And about a month later, he comes back and he says, I just got back from the hospital. I'm cancer free. This happens to my neighbor. It's awesome. But the biggest one is Ricardo. Now I have to tell you about Ricardo when I tell you about loving your neighborhood. Because again, all I had done was pray a prayer. Lord, why is our neighborhood different? Because we live in it. Would you use us? Would you break any box we've put you in around how you can touch our neighborhood and would you use us? And one day I was coming home from work and it was Thursday. And what's specific about Thursday with my family is that Thursday is date night. And so when I got home, I was sitting in my truck and I was looking up restaurants where I could take Sarah Beth on a date. And all of a sudden I look in my rear view mirror and I see another teenager and he's just standing behind my truck. Again, he's sweating. It's the middle of the summer. And I'm like, what is this kid doing? And I get out of the car and I turn around. And as soon as I open my car door, this little chihuahua runs out from under my truck and jumps in my truck. And I'm like, what is going on? And I look at this kid. I'm like, is this your dog? And he's like, yeah, sorry, man. You know, that's my dog. And I'm like, okay, well, can you get your dog? Like your dog is just in my truck. And so he comes and gets his dog. He's holding his dog and long story short, I'm like, who are you? He's like, oh, I'm Ricardo, I live there. And he points at this house, it's this yellow house right down the block. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And he was like, well, I'm chasing my dog. My dog got out and I'm sorry, he's never done this before. And I'm like, it's okay. And again, I just feel, I'm reminded of that prayer I had prayed. And I said, well, what's your name? He says, my name's Ricardo. I'm like, hi, I'm Aaron, it's good to meet you. I'm like, Ricardo, do you know Jesus? And he's like, uh, I've heard of him, yes. And I'm like, but do you know him? And I just start preaching the gospel to him. And as I'm preaching the gospel, he's holding his dog and he's sweating and he's just looking at me and we're outside, you know, in the Texas heat. And after I'm just like, I'm like, I just gave this kid a spill of the gospel. He goes, it's good to meet you, you know? And I'm like, it's good to meet you too, Ricardo. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Let me give you my number. I live here. I'm a youth pastor. I promise I'm not a weirdo. If you ever wanna come over, we can play Madden. We can talk about Jesus, whatever it is. Just text me. He's like, okay. He goes home, I go inside, I start telling Sarah Beth the story. And um, it's not 15 minutes after this conversation, I get a text on my phone and it's Ricardo. And he says, hey Aaron, uh, is it okay if I come over tonight and play Madden? And I'm like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? And so I start telling Sarah Beth, I'm like, he just texted. And, and normally my wife would never say what, she's, what I'm about to tell you she said to me. And I think it was the Holy Spirit for sure. But she goes, what if we invited him on our date? And I'm like, no, that's a horrible idea. Like, no. She was like, yeah, just ask him. Like, he can't come over tonight, but we could take him to dinner and we are gonna go to a movie. And I'm like, Ricardo, do you wanna go to dinner and a movie, you know? And he texts me back and he's like, I'd love to go. And I'm like, no. I'm like, Lord. And uh, so I'm like, all right, well, we'll pick you up in an hour. So we pick him up in an hour and we're driving to a restaurant and I'm like, all right, Ricardo, you have three choices. We can do burgers, we can do Hispanic food, or we can do sushi. And he goes, well, I've never done sushi, so let's go to sushi. So we go to this sushi spot and we order sushi and the whole time he's just telling us about his life and he's telling us about his family and his parents had split up and he had a really hard upbringing. His mom works double shifts and so he hardly sees his mom and he's 16. And 
So after dinner, we go to the movies, and I don't remember what we watch, but we watch a movie, and we order popcorn, and we get candy, and we're walking into the theater, and as we're walking in, I notice he's like, you know, you could just tell. He's like in wonder of the theater. And we sit down in the theater, and as soon as the, the, the previews for the movie start playing, I hand him popcorn, and I'm like, bro, don't you love the movies? And he goes, I've never been before. And I'm like, you're, you're a 16-year-old. American teenager, and you've never been to the movies? He's like, well, my, my family doesn't really have money to come do stuff like this. I've never been to the movies. So then I'm looking at Sarah Beth, I'm like, go get ices, go get more candy, go get double popcorn, like we're gonna give this kid an experience. And so we end up taking him home, he has the time of his life, the whole way in the car, he's just telling us that movie was awesome, you know, all these things. And so Saturday night, I get another text from Ricardo, and he goes, hey, Aaron, uh, are, you told me about church on Sunday. Is it okay if I come with you on Sunday morning? I'm like, yeah, bro, I'll pick you up. Here's the time I'll pick you up. We'll go to church. And I'll never forget, we sat right here where Don and Tim are sitting. And Miller preached that Sunday morning. And at the end of his sermon, he goes, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to give your life to Jesus, I just want you to stand up. And guess who was the first person in the room that morning to stand up? It was Ricardo. He's the first one to stand up. And he's crying. He's weeping. He encountered God. I drove him home on that day and, you know, told him goodbye. He's like, thanks, Aaron. And, you know, I still see him from time to time in our neighborhood. And I just started thinking, gosh, God, what you're able to do with a yes, what you're able to do with a prayer, like, God, would you use me to reach my neighborhood? I didn't strive into it. I just said yes when opportunity presented itself to maybe Jesus being bigger than I thought he could be in my neighborhood. I'm not gonna tell you the last story because, because of time. If someone wants to hop on the keys. If we had time for the last story, I would tell you a story about how uh, my family, brokenness hit my family when I was a third grader. My parents split up, I moved out of the house. Long story short, the Lord has totally reconciled and redeemed my family. In fact, on Monday, we're getting ready to go on family vacation all together when my, fam my parents had split up and my sister and I had no relationship. The Lord has totally redeemed and restored my family. And oftentimes people see us and know us now, they hear us tell that story and they go, oh yeah, that's awesome. It's almost, you can almost be removed from it because you didn't know our family in the midst of it. But let me tell you, when I was growing up, my, my family was about as broken as you can get. Yet today, my parents are in ministry, I'm in ministry, my sister's in ministry. We are so tight-knit, and we look back at what God has done in a decade, and we go, only Jesus. Only Jesus. But I want to tell you this as we pray, and then I'm going to pray for you again. This weekend is not a weekend about, go buy my book, though I hope you do, and I hope you enjoy it. But this weekend is about us as a community saying yes to the Lord again being full of wonder and fascination that he is bigger. Because I started writing Big Jesus in the middle of the pandemic. It was on Memorial Day of 2021. We had just come out of 2020 and, and racism had run rampant down our streets. I, just like you, watched everything be shaken, not just in our nation, but globally. Racism was running down our streets. Offense was running rampant with political parties turned to one another. The nation was divided. Fear was everywhere. The pandemic was, was massive. The COVID-19 was huge in the eyes of the church. And listen, I don't know what you went through during that time. I don't want to downplay anyone's trial or circumstance, but I refuse to let a trial or circumstance be elevated above who Jesus is. Yet I was, was angry. I was angry. I had a righteous anger and a zeal rise up at me, rise up within me as, as, as we had a front row seat to the state of the global church in 2020. I almost had to protect my heart more from the church than the world during that time. Because the world, you can't blame a sinner for being a sinner. Sinners sin, it's what they do. You can't blame a sinner for sinning, but in the church, you would talk about the vaccine, you would talk about the sickness, yet all of a sudden, offense would arise, and, it, and, and you were stuck between, well, you, no, no, you better get it to help this person, or you better, and all of a sudden, our eyes were on every other thing other than Jesus. And I was angry, and I was convicted, and I said, Lord, something isn't right. 
Something is not right, Lord. The church has put you in a box and the day of trouble has come and our eyes are on our circumstance, not on you. Something's not right, God. Shake us, deliver us. And I was sitting with the Lord and I was weeping. I was weeping over America. I was weeping over the church. And I wanna read to you something I wrote. I put it in the introduction of the book. This would become the first, the first fruits of big Jesus. Big Jesus would come from this. I was sitting with the Lord and I was in tears. I was weeping. I was devastated with the state of our nation. I was devastated with, with the way the church was responding. And I wrote, we need a big Jesus. We need a Jesus that's bigger than we can imagine, that's larger than we can fathom and more grand than we can think up. We need a big Jesus, a Jesus that destroys our paradigms, exposes our boxes, and shatters every form of dead religion. We need a big Jesus, a Jesus that's not just a little higher than the heavens, but he is completely outside of the hierarchy of life. We need a big Jesus. A Jesus that's louder than the noise of fear, that's stronger than culture's agenda, and he's greater than the voice of raging kings. We need a big Jesus. A Jesus that rips away shame's hole, stomps on death's sting, and punches sin right back to the grave. We need a big Jesus. A Jesus that outshines every voice that speaks for him, that saves every hand that reaches to him and captivates every eye that looks at him. We need a big Jesus. You see, this is the Jesus that whispered, peace be still, and the waves obeyed. This is the Jesus that snatched Lazarus back from the grave. This is the Jesus who is God wrapped in flesh and the only one who can save. He is a big Jesus. This is the Jesus that closed the mouths of lions, showed up in flames of fire, and told Hades, those keys are mine. He is a big Jesus. This is the Jesus that called the dead to rise. He took the world by surprise and he reconciled every life back to him because he is a big Jesus. This is the Jesus that was whipped for every sin, that was pierced for all men and truly he's coming back again. We need this big Jesus, the one who is and for forever will be our king. Be a big Jesus. I wanna pray for you tonight. I wanna pray for your family. I wanna pray for what you're walking through. And I wanna pray that more than anything, you would see a big Jesus in your life. And so I wanna ask, before that, let me just pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you're bigger than we know. Thank you that you're bigger than we've seen. Thank you that you're far bigger than fear, Lord. Thank you that you're bigger than trial, you're bigger than circumstance. Lord, thank you that in the midst of suffering, you're a really big anchor and a firm foundation. Lord, and I pray for the state of the church. I pray for the state of our nation. Lord, I pray for the globe. Lord, and I pray that you would continue to shake us until all that is left is you, our firm foundation. Lord, and that you would strike us with wonder. Would you strike us with wonder, strike us with fascination. Lord, you told Moses, Lord, in Exodus 3, you said, I'm going to strike Egypt with wonder. Lord, and I ask, in 2023, could you strike the global church with wonder? Lord, could you strike America with wonder? Could you strike us with wonder, Lord, where we get caught up in who's gonna be our next political candidate? Lord, what if our eyes were on you and we said, Lord, strike us with wonder? Strike us, God, with fascination. Lord, ruin us from a Sunday-only Christianity. Ruin us, Lord, for checking the box of Christianity. Lord, ruin us, Lord, for religion to where we're saying, I'm undone by Jesus because I've seen him. Lord, smash our boxes. Deliver us from fear. And captivate us again, Jesus. I wanna pray in the room, if you're walking through something, if the day of trouble has hit your life and you're walking through a trial right now and you need breakthrough, I wanna ask you to stand and we're gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that you would encounter a really big Jesus, far bigger than you've seen, far bigger than you've known.
can we do this? Can we just be the church? And can we surround these that are standing? And can we lay hands on them? And can we just declare that Jesus is bigger than the day of trouble? Jesus is bigger than trial. He's bigger than circumstance. I wanna declare that in the midst of the day of trouble that, that you would find yourself tethered and anchored to Jesus. You would find yourself firmly rooted in Him. So Lord, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that the works of your hands are meant to be remembered. Lord, and we boast in who you are. We boast in who you were. We boast in who you are. We boast in who you will be. Lord, I pray that you would touch marriages and families. I pray that you would touch kids. I pray that you would touch pocketbooks. I pray that you would touch minds. I pray that you would touch hearts. Just take a moment and minister to these guys. Maybe you'll get a prophetic word. Oh, but Lord, strike our hearts to where the expression that comes forth, Lord, is that you do all things well. You do all things well. Lord, all that you do, you do well. Lord, in your beauty, you do all things right. You do all things excellent. Lord, you're trustworthy. Lord, would you give us hope and endurance to believe, Lord, that if our lives aren't threaded with the fingerprints of redemption, that maybe you're not done yet. Maybe you're still working. Maybe you're up to something. that you're able Lord you're able to save to the uttermost anyone who comes to God through you you are able to save to the uttermost anyone who comes to God through you Lord I pray that everyone in this room that needs salvation they need the day of salvation to hit their life Lord I thank you that you are able to save to the uttermost you are able to save completely you are, you are able to totally redeem and restore. Lord, I thank you that Colossians 1.19 says it pleased the Father that the fullness would be found in you. Lord, that you would reconcile all things back to yourself. Lord, and I just pray that the ministry of reconciliation would begin to touch these ones. Lord, begin to fall on these ones. Lord, that we would refuse to say the kingdom of heaven is a matter of talk, but we would lay hold to the reality that it's of power. Lord, that you're not in the grave, that you're alive. invite our ministry team to come forward and if you need prayer I want to invite you to come come receive prayer and I'm going to pray for you and thank you for coming Lord I bless our Saturday night crew Lord I thank you for everyone that's here Lord I pray that you would touch their lives Lord I pray that there would be a blessing upon them Lord would you make your face to shine upon them Lord and I thank you for endurance Lord in the day of trouble Lord, I thank you that in the midst of suffering, you would open eyes to see you as bigger, greater, grander, larger, far better, more lovely. 
Lord, I thank you that you're a deliverer and a reconciler. Lord, I thank you that you're a good shepherd and a good leader. Lord, and I declare that your leadership, Lord, would mark every family in this community, every single in this community, every kid in this community. Lord, let it, let, it, let the fingerprints of your leadership be all over this house. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, and would you mature us, Lord? Help us to see you as you really are. You're a big Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love you. Thank you for coming. If you get a book, I hope you enjoy it.